Welcome to the Business of Biotech. On our last episode, multi-time biotech founder and board member Leslie Williams shared deep and practical insight into building your biopharma startup pitch, translating your pitch into a deck, and what to expect throughout the pitching experience. We touched on pitching strategies in a challenging economy, and today we're going much deeper on that topic with a founder who lived it when he launched his biotech back in 2008 in the throes of the Great Recession. Since that launch, he's continually cultivated capital to seed his company's growth, but he's also done some creative bootstrapping by leveraging his company's IP in a services context to fund the development of its pipeline. Let's give it a listen. I'm very much uh, looking forward to today's conversation with Ben Zeskind, who is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Immuneering. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it because Ben's uh, is a very unique company that I, I might wrongly, but I think sort of accurately classify as something of a hybrid between a, a bioinformatics uh, company and, and a biotech or pharma company um, focused on, on, on uh, gene therapies. Uh, and, and I'm excited about just to clarify that. Yeah. Um, so, so therapy is discovered using, uh, using genetic information, but not necessarily gene, uh, gene. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. So, uh, I'm excited to talk with Ben about his company, his experience, uh, because today's conversation is going to focus on, um, finding and in Ben's case, even creating funding in, uh, a highly reactive market, uh, and, and we're going to kind of cover the gamut of that because Ben launched his company back in 2008 uh, when a lot of people said, don't, don't do that, bad time. Uh, and, and he's got some good funding stories to tell along the way. Um, so just before we get uh, started, and I formally introduced Ben, who just popped in, uh, I want to give you a little bit of background on him. So Ben is uh, an MIT, MIT undergrad, just some bullet points, MIT undergrad in electrical engineering, computer science. MIT PhD in biological engineering, Harvard MBA, uh, grad student and postdoctoral work at Whitehead Institute, uh, launched Immuneering in 2008, as I said, not an ideal time. Uh, Just this past uh, December, I believe, you landed a $19 million round of Series A financing, correct? Ended up ended up at twenty. We were oversubscribed, oh. so we finally uh, closed it out at uh, at twenty million. Yeah. Congratulations, and that that funding, as I understand it, uh, is is designed to help you move forward with your lead program in uh, cancer, coccyxia, and its pipeline of oncology. Your pipeline of oncology medicines, correct? That's the primary primary use. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent. So also, uh, what will make this conversation around funding interesting is that in addition to securing this outside. Uh, funding. As I mentioned, uh, Immuneering is a bioinformatics company. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Ben, but you guys license your bioinformatics platform to other companies and kind of do some self-funding via that uh, revenue stream? Uh, close. So we, so we provide services. So we provide bioinformatics services. So it's, it, it's not really licensing our, our platform, but it's more providing um, sort of, uh, you know, best, best in class uh, 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 services. So, you know, PhD is trained at MIT and the like who can come in to pharma companies and help them 
analyze their their bioinformatic data in more in more detail. So it's it's really a services business. Excellent. Okay. Cool. So we can talk about how that uh, kind of contributes to your your uh, funding uh, picture at, at Immuneering as well. So uh, with that, a, a formal intro to the guy who's been popping in and correcting me, Ben Ben Zeskin. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. Yeah. For it's great to have you. So I want to start out, uh, again, uh, the focus of today's show is to talk a little bit about market dynamics on, on the funding scene for uh, startup biotechs. Um, and this is a, a big, broad question that you can take in a million different directions, but I, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll ask it in an open-ended fashion. How, how, does, how does the market impact uh, the biotech investment environment from your perspective? Oh, well, it, has, it certainly has a, a, a dramatic impact on, uh, on how companies get get financed and when. And un, un, unfortunately, I learned this uh, the, the hard way. Um, so, you know, as, as you had uh, kindly mentioned in my introduction, I, you know, I did a, did a lot of school and, and sort of came out of these, these uh, um, schools. I had, a, I had a business plan written for, uh, for immuneering. And, I, you know, I thought uh, it's, it was pretty straightforward the way we learned it in, uh, in school, right? You, you have your business plan, you go out, spend a few months and, and you know, raise capital from VCs, and then you're, you're kind of off and running. Um, and, you know, so it all, it all seemed great in theory, and, and unfortunately that, that theory sort of ran into the, uh, the buzzsaw of, of reality in, uh, in 2008. So we actually made our, uh, our first serious pitch to investors uh, the week that Lehman Brothers collapsed, hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of like uh, where where'd everybody go, you know? Yeah, um, and and just the really, I think the biggest thing was psychology, right? When the when the markets are are plummeting, um, and and sort of you know everyone's scared, no one knows sort of where where it's going to end, and so um, you know I think the the VCs and other investors naturally, you know, they're thinking about their existing portfolio and, and how they're going to probably have to spend more than they thought they would on their, to, to invest more in their existing portfolio to kind of keep, keep them going through the difficult times. They're thinking about the, the next fund they, uh, they have to raise. Cause don't, don't forget v, VCs have to raise uh, capital as well from their, from their limited partners and um, you know, which are often large uh, uh, pension funds and, and, you know, state employee retirement funds and things like that. And if, you know, if, if, if those are more constrained, uh, you know, VC, VC firms can't, can't raise a new, uh, a new fund. So they're sort of feeling uh, uh, squeezed in, in all those, those directions. And, sure. and, you know, it just, I think dramatically changes sort of their perception of risk and, and how they want to deploy their, their capital. Yeah. Uh so tell me about how when when you face that situation to your point you know where you looked around and you're like hey where'd everybody go it's 2008 right after after lehman brothers uh, collapses uh how did that and and uh, be be as transparent as you're comfortable being how did that affect your strategy what mistakes did you make and, and lessons did you learn as a result of making those mistakes at the time sure well you know i i think the the the, the the first thing we thought that was that was probably a mistake in in retrospect I'll, I'll say I instead of we I, the first thing I thought that was a mistake was uh was that this this was a a problem that could be overcome kind of solely by persistence um, so we you know we said okay sort of the the first five or six investors that were the usual suspects that we 
you know, we thought we could talk to and get funding. They, they sort of can't do it, but let's, let's just kind of stay the course and, and, and talk to a broader, a broader set of investors. Um, so that, that was really our, our first, um, you know, first way of, of dealing with it. Um, and it, uh, it, you know, we ended up uh, meeting with a lot of, a lot of different VC firms. There were a lot in 2008, I think po possibly more, more than there are now because a, a number of them uh, actually went out of business during that time. A calling of, of sorts. Exactly. Exactly. But we, uh, we, we met with all of them, the, the ones that survived and the ones that, uh, that got called if you, if you will. And, and, um, you know, everyone, everyone was polite. Well, I should say most everyone was polite, and, uh, <laughs> um, but they, it was just the psychology. People weren't, weren't making investments. So the, the thing that we started doing in parallel was, was talking to pharmaceutical companies. Um, and this, you know, it, 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 it really started out as, as really just kind of a, a, a side thing, you know, by, you know, our, our, the vast majority of our focus was on those VC investors and, and, and the pharma companies were, were kind of a, kind of a side project or, or you know, something we would do in, in between. Um, but what we found was that as the, and so I, you know, I, I think a mistake uh, was not shifting that focus sooner because we, we found we were getting more traction with the pharma companies than, than we were with the VCs. You know, they, they have a, a longer term perspective and you know they're the large farmer they're all they're all public companies so they're you know their stocks were getting better too and the you know the psychology was tough there too but the you know the difference is they you know to kind of to survive they need to keep keep going with their drug development you know and they need to get get drugs on the market and you know the the demand for that is is um you know a little bit more more consistent so while they you know they had that same psychology of as as the VCs in terms of being concerned about the environment you know they, they they still had sort of budget and 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 a way to go forward so um you know i i think over time as we as we racked up a a longer and longer list of no's from the uh the VC mm -hmm. investors and and um started getting into more and more detailed uh conversations with uh with pharma companies uh, in, in increasingly, it looked like that was the the direction where we were getting more um, more traction. So, you know, I, I think the mistake was just not uh, uh, shifting sooner. But the I, I guess the lesson or the you know one of the takeaways would be that uh, sort of having multiple paths in parallel is 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 really important. Um, yeah, yeah, um, and and since then uh, the the economy obviously it took a while to level off. Uh, and then it was relatively stable. Uh, we've seen some, even recently in the last seven days, uh, we've seen some interesting activity in the, in the stock market. Yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, I guess, what, how did your, how did your strategy, um, how did it change over time? Like as, you know, did, did you ever get comfortable? Let me ask you that. Did you ever get to a point where you're just like, hey, you know, things have leveled off, we're comfortable? Or, or was there sort of an always keep grinding mentality? Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I think, I, you know, I, I think having having been founded and, and and gone through that that really difficult time in two thousand eight, um, you, you know, it th th there was sort of never, uh, you know, 
as a company and sort of as a culture, it really made us feel like we, you know, we could never sort of could or should kind of rest on our, on our laurels, if you will, or get, get comfortable. And, you know, at, at the time we would actually tell ourselves, you know, there, there were all these articles about how, you know, some of the, the greatest uh, companies in the world and most enduring companies were founded during very difficult economic times. And, uh, you know, we would read those articles and sort of tell ourselves that and, and impart it, it just felt like uh, just a you know a way to make ourselves feel better about the situation. <laughs> um, but in in retrospect, I, I I think there is some some truth to that because it, it you know it's almost Darwinian. There's sort of a a harsher selective pressure in in difficult times, and it you know it forces you to ad, ad, adapt faster to survive and and uh, you know really find where you can create the most value. Um, and, and and so I think that that's really what happened with us. So, you know, in order to get those uh, pharma partners, we, we actually had to tra change our strategy. So originally, uh, it, you know, we were looking at um, uh, predicting response to specific cancer immunotherapies. Actually, at the start, we were looking at, at interleukin-2, which was a therapy that, that worked very well in a very small subset of melanoma patients. And we said, if we can uh, uh, predict who's going to respond, that'll be, that'll be good for patients because then, um, you know, the, the ones who aren't going to respond don't have to suffer through all the toxicity of, of, of that treatment. And even, even more so, we can understand why it's working, what's happening in that 7% that's having, uh, they're called complete and durable responses. You know, we can, we can figure out how to make that happen in more, more people. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, but originally we were really focused on that one therapy and what the, what the pharma companies told us was, yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't really care about interleukin-2, but can you apply the same approach to our therapies, to the, to the drugs that we're developing? And, and, and so I think that was another case where sort of being flexible was important. And I, you know, I, I think we had to do it, I, you know, the mistake was not doing it sooner, but uh, the lesson is when we finally, you know, were able to shift a little bit, it was, it was helpful. And, and so that's, that's really how we got started was, was doing um, services projects where we were helping, uh, you know, bioinformatics services, helping pharma companies analyze their data to figure out um, why their successful drugs were working. Um, you know, really what's the, what's the mechanism of action? Uh, you know, so one of our very first projects was working with Bristol-Myers Squibb on Yervoy, which is their anti-CTLA-4 uh, antibody for, uh, for melanoma. Uh, and, now many other indications at the, at the time, melanoma, and, and um, it, you know, the, it was really through the bioinformatics services that we were able to, to gain some insights into uh, why some patients were responding better, better than, uh, than others. Yeah. Has it been a, a conscious uh, strategy to take uh, revenue from that bioinformatics services uh, part of the business and reinvest it in developing your own, your own pipe, pipeline? Over time, yeah, it, that's that that became a strategy, and and you know, look, it it uh, uh, it, it enabled us to to really really seed uh, the the drug development programs. So we you know at, at first we were just just uh, just the bioinformatics services, and then as as we grew, we were able to develop a, a proprietary platform um, that lets us you know through the services we we started noticing this this common pattern among successful drugs, which is that they were, um, you know, while, while they were all sort of designed to go after a single, a, a single target, um, they, they were actually 
uh, modulating hundreds, uh, if not thousands of genes um, and, and you know, upregulating some, downregulating others and, and doing it in a way that specifically counteracted uh, disease patterns. So literally, you know, uh, genes that were downregulated uh, in a particular aspect of disease would be upregulated by the, by the drug and vice versa. So we built our proprietary platform, our disease canceling technology to, to really find new drugs uh, to, to um, you know, to, to take advantage of that, that effect. And mm -hmm. so once, you know, once we built that and validated that, uh, you know, initially we thought about applying it in a, in a services model. Um, and, you know, some of the initial responses we got when, you know, when the platform was early was, well, if this is so great, why don't you, uh, why don't, if this is so great at finding drugs, why don't you find your go own for, drugs? Go <laughs> find your own. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so we kind of ran the numbers and we said, yeah, why not? <laughs> good, good question. So, so that to your point, we, we then, um, use the the balance sheet from the services business to to seed those initial uh, uh, efforts to get drug programs up and running, um, yeah. and that that was actually worked out really well and, and enabled us to really demonstrate proof of concept experimentally both for the platform and the the specific drug candidates that uh, that came out of it, um, and it you know it got us to the point where we were able to raise um, you know when it got us to the point where we were able to raise, raise capital having, having really demonstrated the, the platform and, and have drug programs that were, uh, that were truly, uh, truly underway. So, I, you know, I, I think we're probably one of the few companies that, that raised a, a, a Series A after more than a decade in, in business. That's, that's pretty unusual. But. Yeah. The Business of Biotech podcast is dedicated to helping new and emerging biopharma leaders navigate the organizational, financial, and regulatory aspects of the biotherapeutics market landscape. So is Cytiva, the company formerly known as GE Healthcare Life Sciences, and the gracious underwriters of this project. Find out how Cytiva is helping life science researchers and biopharmaceutical manufacturers evolve how new therapies and precision medicines are discovered made and used at www.cytiva.com. That's www.cytiva.com. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's unusual. And what also is unusual uh, about your company is, uh, and, and I think it's unfortunate that it's unusual, to be frank, is that you, granted, it's a very specific piece of intellectual property that you came to market with around bioinformatics. But the ability to leverage uh, the IP that you have to build, you know, a different aspect of your, of your business is something that I think is often overlooked um, among, especially in this space where, you know, you have companies that are led by, you know, very intelligent, vibrant, business savvy people who employ very talented people uh, as well. And there's a lot of intellectual property in a company that goes untapped that could potentially parlay itself into a, a line of business that helps fund drug discovery. That's right. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great point. And, and, you know, we always, um, we, we have a, a fantastic team, you know, it's, it's a, um, you know, h half our team is trained at MIT, and the, the rest at a kind of equally, uh, equally great, uh, great institutions. You know, mm -hmm. we, um, uh, the majority of you know, I think of our 
uh, 20 people, 17 are PhDs or MDs. So, you know, we really have a great, and just great, uh, a great team. So, so what we would do in the early days was kind of um, buffer capacity. So when, you know, when the services work got a little slower, we'd have people work on internal uh, drug programs or, you know, building the platforms or, or the technology. And, you know, to your point, it, it, it really let us sort of start to see these efforts that ultimately enabled us to add add a second uh, kind of pillar to our our uh, company. You know, of course, our, our services business is still uh, still thriving, and you know, pretty much anyone who has RNA seq or other uh, exome, other bioinformatics data, we're able to really help them uh, analyze it, get more out of it. But in in parallel, now we have the the drug programs uh, which use the the disease canceling technology. So yeah, it's, yep. it, it's been nice to be able to to add that second. Uh, kind of line of business, but it you know it, it really did does build on that that original goal from day one, which is you know we were trying to understand existing drugs and how they worked well so that we could get good responses in more patients and um, you know so that there was always sort of this dream from the beginning of could we use the 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 insights that bioinformatics provides to to create new medicines and 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 so it's you know, it took took a decade to uh, to get to that point, but I'm you know I think our our whole team is really really excited that we have that. that yeah. Right here. You you talked uh, you briefly touched on uh, buffering capacity. Uh, I'd like to get your opinion or thoughts on uh, other I guess organizational or structural levers that you can push and pull and buttons you can you can depress yeah. uh, to uh, I guess react to prepare for. Uh, Volatility, um, blips, right, uh, in in the economy. Yeah, I mean, I I think the the the, the biggest one is is just simply capital efficiency, um, and you know, going going back to sort of great successful companies being started during difficult economic times. You know, I I, I think a big part of that uh, is just the just the you know, and I know this uh, certainly for our company. Capital efficiency is is sort of burned deeply into our uh, our DNA as a as a company. Um, you know, and it's it's just it it really becomes cultural. So you know, I'm not I'm not saying we're we're cheap. You know, we take take care of our employees, and 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 um, you know, we we always spend money on important things like healthcare for for employees and things like that. But you know, I I think there's a lot of a lot of inefficiencies around how typical companies spend money and when you know when they're able to raise a a really large series a from day one you know a lot of times just naturally that that capital efficiency uh discipline doesn't doesn't really get get instilled from the beginning so Mm -hmm. um but you know for us it it was always there you know it's it's reflected in ways like uh you know we we used a lot of consultants in the early days as opposed to hiring full-time employees you know um, even to this day we work with with CROs a lot and, and sort of only build uh, capacity where where we need it um, and kind of when when we need it um, mm-hmm. you know aside from kind of the core uh, bioinformatics and, and computational biology uh, um, you know where we we do you know it, it, it's not even so much that we just sort of intentionally built excess capacity, but it's more just whenever we found really great, you know, world-class top-notch uh, computational biologists, we, we sort of hired them whether or not we had the, the demand at that 
at that moment. So, yeah, um, you know, pe people I'd say is the one place where we've we, uh, you know, have, have really invested our our, uh, our capital in the early days. But <laughs> and that's a efficient. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would assume that's a, a pretty, you, you've got to walk a fine line there, like you said, if you have an opportunity to bring on someone who's a real rock star in the space, uh, you know, you, you look at that from a corporate uh, valuation standpoint, it could be a real boon to your valuation at the same time. Uh, do you find that um, it, potential investors are paying attention to your capital efficiency and perhaps their reaction to your efficiency or lack thereof may have an implication on uh, your next round or your ability to, to secure funding the next time you need it? You know, I, I think different, different investors have different opinions on that, right? I mean, there, you know, there's some investors that are sort of want to put it, you know, put a ton of money into something and just see it go as fast as it can. And either it, it takes off like a rocket ship or it, or it crashes. And, and, and so, you know, and, and I think that's something for entrepreneurs to consider is that not, you know, not all, investors believe in, in capital efficiency if, if mm. you, or you know they, they believe in it to, to differing extents um, but certainly you know for us we're we're fortunate to to find a group of investors that i i think shares our our philosophy and our and our vision and you know i i should mention that having that kind of burned into our, our dna from the beginning uh was helpful in another way which is that our um you know, our platform, our disease canceling technology for finding new drug candidates, um, one of its key attributes, and we, we actually didn't, didn't really know this until we went back and, and kind of looked at our, our actual numbers to date, but it, it's actually much more capital efficient. So if you look at <laughs> where our drug programs are today versus kind of the typical uh, uh, benchmarks uh, for startups of, of this type, um, we're actually three times more capital efficient. So we, we spent a third of what it would take a, a typical startup to to get there, and um, you know a lot of that is driven by the the technology itself because we're um, you know we're taking steps that are traditionally done through trial and error uh, screening, and and you know we're doing them computationally, and you know there's still experiments that are required, but they're much more focused experiments that are that are done at the end. So, you know I, I think the the cool thing about that is 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 sort of our capital efficiency culture ultimately manifested itself in, in technology, which, you know, is, it, it's faster and it lets us find uh, drugs that wouldn't be found by traditional methods, but it's also extremely capital efficient, which yeah. I'm excited about. Very cool. Um, I, I don't want to put you on the spot and, and necessarily ask you about your exit strategy. You know, not, I'm not making any assumptions about where you are on that, where you are on that continuum. Um, but as you look at, at the space and, and assuming that at, at your uh, stage uh, in the life cycle of your company, you've at least thought about an exit strategy, um, what, what, is your, what, what do you see as sort of key indicators in the market uh, around, you know, when a, when a good time for an IPO might be or when a good time to seek a, an acquisition might be? Like, do you see any... Um, indicators, you know, like reductions in IPOs that you kind of pay attention to? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends a lot on the, on the nature of the, the exit. Um, you know, and I, and, and I should mention, we, you know, we actually had a, a nice partial exit along the way in, uh, in, in 2015 where we, you know, we sold part of our company to a, to a large, uh, large pharma company. And um, actually that, that was nice because it, 
all, all those investors who had had said no to us in the early days actually kind of did us a favor because it meant the you know the founders and the team had had uh, a much greater ownership stake in the company when hmm. it came time for that uh, that partial exit. But you know when it, when I think about the conditions leading to that, as well as you know kind of the environment now and 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 how our company might go forward in the future. Uh, you know, to me, those those exits are are a lot more kind of relationship specific and situation specific than than um, entirely driven by the by the economic climate. Now they're not. Mm. It, it's really both. It's they're they're kind of inter interwoven, right? So certainly the you know the exit that we had the the company um, was doing very the you know the company that acquired part of our company was doing very well at the time. You know they're their stock price was high. the The markets were good, so you know I think that that certainly helped them psychologically to to you know want to move forward with with a transaction. But we'd also been working with them for two and a half years through our services business, so they it's, it's kind of like the world's longest due diligence period. You know, they they, they had seen firsthand how how effective uh, we were at at we were in our at, at bioinformatics. So I think it's it's really those those two factors. It's kind of the, the general psychology uh, of the markets and how that particular company is doing. And then, um, you know, the specifics of the, the relationship. And, you know, I, I think that's right to going, going forward, you know, obviously. So last week when the markets were plunging over the, the coronavirus fears, I don't, I don't think that was a time when anyone was really thinking of, uh, of transactions or, or, you know, buying, buying other companies or, or anything like that. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, ho- hopefully that situation will stabilize. And, you know, I think as long as things are, are stable and, and people aren't, uh, aren't uh, worried about what will happen next, then, um, you know, exits are, are driven a lot by the specifics of the, the technology and the relationship. I mean, the, you know, the, the nice thing that, w- that we have that gives us some kind of redundancy is, is we have a, you know, this whole pipeline of, of different drug programs and, um, you know, we're set up to take, uh, take them to the clinic. We have a, a chief medical officer. We're working, working towards that. Um, but actually because of our capital efficiency, we, you know, we could, if we got the right offer, uh, license uh, or partner uh, one or more of the drug programs that are relatively early, early stage. Hmm. So, you know, I think that, that gives us one opportunity to, to, to generate uh, uh, liquidity, um, you know, uh, the IPO market is certainly something to uh, to monitor and and you know understand how uh, uh, you know companies in the in the industry are are doing. You know, that's that's always a I think any any company has to keep that in mind as a as a possibility at some point when the when the time is right. And then sure, um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a, a new. Uh, CEO, right? First time CEO of a of an emerging biopharma company. What what sort of inside dope can you give me on uh, investors' mentalities? Um, you know, during times of volatility, bubble, uh, potential potential volatility. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's 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 challenging. I mean, I, I think I would say pursue investors, but also try to, you know, try to have some other, other plans that you can pursue in parallel, like, mm-hmm. for, you know, for us, the, the pharma companies, but, um, you know, in, in terms of when, 
you know, when people will make the decision to invest, even in, in difficult times, you know, I, I think it's really around risk and reward, right? And if, it, you know, anything that you can do as a, as a CEO um, to de-risk your company, show that, that, you know, your technology's been validated, you know, you have good partnerships, you have great, great employees, uh, you know, all, all of these factors, uh, you know, publications, when you can, all this kind of helps to, to de-risk your company, and then, and then on the flip side, the reward, you know, just show that, um, you know, the, the market that you're in is really large, the kind of the potential is, is that, you know, we talk about uh, even today with our services business, you know, we're, you know, we're, the business is thriving just through word of mouth, so, you know, and there's just the, the pace at which uh, gene expression and, and sequencing data is being generated is, is only increasing, so it's, it's just really a vast market. So, you know, make, make points like that where, you know, that just, just show the, you know, the upside and the potential reward from, from your company. You know, we talk about our, our drug programs, you know, e each of which is in a, in a multi-billion dollar uh, a market. So, um, you know, I, I think showing that, showing that upside, that reward is, is, is really important. And, and if you can, uh, you know, successfully make the case that, that your company is lower risk than kind of the other opportunities that they're seeing and, and higher reward, hmm. um, you know, investments get, uh, get made even in, uh, in difficult times. Excellent. Very good. So, uh, that'd be a good place to end, but I want to give you the opportunity to offer up a, a concluding thought, uh, if you'd like, um, you're talking to, um, Ben, I'm going to guess you're mm, 31 years old. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm flattered. Uh, 30, 38 actually. Okay. So, uh, so, so, <laughs> Thank you so for the Thank you for oh, the sure. <laughs> if you, uh, if 38 year old Ben had the opportunity to, uh, give a sound piece of funding advice to, let's say 28 year old Ben, uh, what would it be? Uh, I think just, just balance, persistence and flexibility. I think that's it. You know, I, I think uh, you have to keep moving and, and stay true to your goals and yet um, be really flexible to the environment. You know, I, I, um, I learned to sail at MIT in, in little dinghy boats and I used hmm. to teach sailing lessons there. And, and, and when you sail, um, you can always get to whatever destination you want to go to, but how you get there depends on the wind. So, uh, you know, when the, when the wind is... Uh, is coming straight from the direction you want to go. You you can't sail directly upwind. Your sails start loving. Um, but what you have to do is tack. You know you have to zigzag essentially, and you can get to get to where you want to go. So the the wind is the economic conditions, right? You know don't don't try to sail directly upwind. Uh, you know, but stay persistent in getting to your goal. But just do it uh, in a in a in a more flexible way. You have to sometimes you have to turn turn the boat in a different direction to ultimately get get to where you want to go. Yeah, very good. That's a be beautiful analogy. Great, great way to end it. Ben Zaskin, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Great conversation. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's Ben Zaskin. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech, produced by Bioprocess Online and graciously supported by Cytiva formerly GE Healthcare Life Sciences. Tune in next week for a great conversation with Vivek Ramaswamy on building your biotech all-star team. In the meantime, please subscribe, give us five stars, 
And be sure to subscribe to our newsletter at bioprocessonline.com. Thanks for listening.